I want to turn your attention this morning to the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And uh, in our three services, we're going to begin a journey through the Gospel. And uh, it's not a great, exciting term, but uh, Mark's Gospel has frequently been referred to as that which describes the way, the way of following Jesus, the way of moving toward the cross, the way of understanding what it means to be a child of God in the midst of this world. So hear the word of the Lord this morning from Mark chapter one. I'm going to read the first 15 verses. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness, and he was with the, and he was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited upon him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus came preaching, preparing all humanity for God's new work within the world. Jesus came proclaiming a message. What we learn as we study the gospel as we understand the epistles that have been written and have given to us a new insight into the life of Jesus, is that Jesus not only proclaimed the gospel, Jesus in himself was the demonstration and the essence of the gospel itself. And so what I want us to do I want us to begin with this wonderful term, kingdom, and work backwards through the text to see what Mark is attempting to tell us about this one 
who came preaching. Now, the interesting thing to me is the fact that in Mark's gospel, there are moments when the people are left wondering, who is this one? Now, we're going to discover that that question is certainly answered. But there's not everyone within the gospel who really understands who Jesus is. And as we read, as we attempt to see afresh the power of the gospel itself, we will be led to understand anew who this Jesus really is as he is proclaimed in the gospel of Mark. Have you thought much about the kingdom of God? It's one of those great themes that spreads throughout Scripture itself. And we've had a lot of teaching on the kingdom that just, dare I say, has been wrong. <laughs> One thing we have to get over is the fact that the church is not the kingdom. If it is, sometimes we're in big trouble. <laughs> A French Roman Catholic New Testament scholar early in the 20th century, thinking about the kingdom, said, You know, Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God, and what came was the church. And Loisy was uh, kind of saying, We didn't get all we had hoped for or all that we had expected. Well, perhaps he is right at that point. But what we did get, what did come, was that inauguration of the kingdom that we find in Jesus himself. The Old Testament prophets had talked about the fact that especially following the exile, following all that had torn Israel apart with the destruction of Jerusalem, with the destruction of God's temple in Jerusalem, that there was that time when God would again return to Zion and would reign as king. And in this idea and in this teaching of the kingdom of God, that idea is ever-present. That it's not merely about the kingdom without a king, but it is the kingdom with a king who need not have a great palace or a great army or the great implements of warfare, but who leads through truth and righteousness and holiness. So the kingdom is not something we build. It's not a political utopia that we're able to somehow legislate or through military exercise create for ourselves. It's this sense of the character of God becoming explicit in all that we do and in all that we are. If we're looking for the inauguration of the kingdom, and we see it in Jesus, 
It is, it is, it is as though what we need to do is to give ourselves to him in such a way that those ideas and those characteristics begin to become reflected in our life and in what we do. In how we live as the people of God within this world. So that the kingdom initiated with the coming of Jesus, made real through his death and resurrection, will be validated when he comes again. And when God fulfills his call to all humanity, and God becomes, as Paul said, all in all. So this return to Zion, this coming back to Jerusalem in which the king reveals the truth of God concerning life and our role within it becomes significant to us in ways perhaps that we've never dreamed about before. You see, the kingdom is not merely about WWJD, you know. I'm kind of glad those days are gone. What would Jesus do? I'm even glad that uh, that classic religious book by Charles Sheldon, In His Steps, is not as popular as it once was. Because both of those kind of thematic understandings talk about us in our ability to do something for God. And it's not merely about us. When the kingdom comes, it will come as God brings it in our midst. Not whether or not we can build it. It's not about us. It's about God's work within the world as he finds opportunity, as he found it through Jesus, his son. And as it now reaches into our lives and we become the reflection of God's presence in the world. You know, I look back over my life. And I realize I couldn't realize them all. I wouldn't have time or memory. But when I certainly was less than a reflection of God's presence in my life. Where is that sense of kingdom that grows out of who we are as God's children? I think that's an important question. It's an important question for me. So as we begin to think about how we get to this idea of Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God, and it being tied very closely to the good news of God that is mentioned in verse 14, let's work back through this text and to see what has been taking place after Jesus came preaching the gospel. The text tells us that John the Baptist had been arrested. And it appears in Mark's gospel that this becomes an important sign for the coming of Jesus. That John's ministry needed to be fulfilled before Jesus could come 
and begin to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. John's arrested. John had come as that forerunner to the Messiah. In John's gospel, we read that John wasn't that one, but he came to bear testimony. He came to bear witness to the light of the world that was coming into the world. This one, Jesus. So John the Baptist had been arrested, and Jesus could say at that point, the time was fulfilled for the initiation of the kingdom to take place. Now, you realize, John must have been a trip, huh? He must have been one we would have wondered about. His dress, his diet, his lifestyle in the desert. But sometimes what we forget is that there had not been a prophetic voice in Jerusalem for 400 years. And the Old Testament scriptures were sensitive to the prophetic word and to what the prophets had to say. In my classes at the university, I try to give the students a memorable thought. And that for me, a prophet was that spokesperson for God who held the king and the people to radical accountability before the covenant. That's why they didn't like the prophets. They killed the prophets, you know. Perhaps many of us remember Willie Nelson. My students don't anymore, so I have to, you know, have to change. But you remember, Willie had that great country hymn, you know, Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. (laughs) I'm convinced if Willie had been singing in the first century and before, he'd have said, Mama, don't let your babies grow up to be prophets. Because they did mean things to the prophets. Because the prophets were attempting to hold the people to radical accountability before the covenant. Here comes this prophetic voice in the wilderness. And it says that all Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him. Can can you see them making their way down that road to Jericho? A tough climb coming back. But to hear the prophetic word. And a part of that prophetic word was, There's one coming after me who is mightier than I am. One of whom I am not worthy to stoop down and tie the thongs of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's what John had to say. What a message! And it was as John was arrested because of attempting to hold the king to accountability morally. He's going to be killed for his task. Jesus is going to pick up that mantle and prove his messiahship to the people in ways that they won't be interested in accepting. 
Because what they want? They wanted somebody to come in and break the yoke of Rome and to give Jerusalem that sense now of becoming the center of the political universe of the world. I'm not convinced Jesus bore that same concern. So John had been arrested. The time was fulfilled. But it tells us as we read backwards that Jesus had been driven into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. Now we learn a little bit more about this temptation in Matthew and in Luke. But it had to be a time of just great reflection and a time of soul searching of what it's going to mean now to fulfill this call of God upon the life of one who is called Son of God. What's it mean to live now as a reflection of God's grace within this world? Several years ago, we had a uh, professor on campus from UCLA, Scott Barchi, his name was. I assume it still is his name, but uh, he was with us back then. And uh, Dr. Barchi talked about the fact that one of the great differences between Jesus and those he lived amongst his kin, the Jews, one of the great differences was his view of the character of God of how he determined the will of God within the world. And, and I've never forgotten that statement that Dr. Barchi made concerning this difference about who God is to Jesus. You see, we can go on and we don't reflect upon that very much. Who is God to us? Oh, well, you know. <laughs> we all know who God is to us. Well, at this point in Jesus' life, God is that one through whom, through the Spirit of God, who drives him into the desert to be there for those 40 days and nights, to know the feeling of hunger, to know what it means to thirst, as one reflects upon what God would be doing in his or her life. Now, when we read Matthew and Luke, we realize that much of what is being spoken of in those verses is Jesus is trying to determine, or he's being presented, I should say, with what kind of a Messiah he would be. Is he going to be a Messiah who pleases himself, who's able to turn stones into bread? Is he going to be a Messiah who's going to please the populace and jump off the pinnacle of the temple? And have a great scene and have the angels catch him before he is dashed upon the ground and killed? Oh my, isn't that something? Is that the kind of Messiah he's going to be? Is he going to be a Messiah who's going to bow down and worship Satan for his power? Those days in the wilderness must have been significant days as Jesus struggled with what it meant to be Messiah. 
to his people in the midst of God's plan for humanity. John the Baptist had been arrested. The time had been fulfilled. Jesus had gone through the experience of the desert, being tempted by Satan. But prior to this, he had been baptized by John. And the Spirit descended upon him, and the heavenly voice had spoken. Now, let me give you a hint in Mark's gospel so you can even read ahead, you know. You not only have the heavenly voice speaking here, and did you, did you catch what the voice said? You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And then we have that remarkable statement in the transfiguration <clears throat> recorded in Mark chapter 9. And a voice from heaven comes again and says, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And so at the beginning of the ministry, as Jesus begins to move to Jerusalem to face crucifixion, his death and resurrection, that voice speaks again. But the remarkable thing in the baptism occurs when the heavens are torn asunder and the spirit descends in the form of a dove to fill Jesus with that life-giving presence that gives to him that sense of his identity and his ministry within the world. Prior to his baptism, he had made his way into the Galilee. And Galilee in the first century was an interesting place because it was controlled mainly by the Gentiles. I had a professor one time who tried to describe the difference when he would talk about that road that moved from Egypt on up to Damascus and over to Asia Minor. That road that ran up next to the Mediterranean and made its way over to Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee and then on up to Damascus. He said that's where the that's where the big cats ran. <laughs> that's where the Gentiles played out their life within Cana, Canaan, within Jerusalem, within the uh, uh, Judean context. The mice were up in the hill country, kind of hiding away, (laughs) doing their thing up in the mountains of Jerusalem, up in the fortress there, whether going down to Hebron or going on up to Ramah and other places to the north through the Samaritan area. And there were the Jews, not always having full run of the nation. But when Jesus goes to preach, he goes fulfilling what Isaiah the prophet had said about the light dawning 
in that darkened area of the Galilee. The people who sat in darkness would see a great light. And that light would make a difference in how they understood the work of God within the world. And so what's taking place here in the life of Jesus, in Mark's portrayal of this life, is the fact that God was at work. And through the wonder of the prophetic word, we could see God's hand. Working out the gospel that would come to the world. You see, but all of this only makes sense, really, when we realize, and now we're back at the beginning of the chapter. When Mark says these things, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out into the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And into this historical situation comes Jesus. In Mark's gospel, without any birth narratives, without anything that tells us about how he lived or who he was or anything about his parents, he comes Preaching the gospel and proclaiming that the kingdom of God has drawn near and that the people are to repent and to believe the gospel. So we've gone through this text. And if this is all we've have, we we've we've got a nice documentary here, don't we? But what difference does it make to you? What difference does it make To me. Well, last Sunday I tried to preach to you from Colossians chapter 1, dealing with verse 18. Talking about Christ as the head of the church. And here we see this one, Jesus Christ, who has come as Son of God to our world. That the Spirit of God might take his life and use it to God's glory. That we might know redemption. That we through repentance might be able to believe and find life anew. You see, it's not merely history. It's that encounter that comes to us with our need. To know what it means to see God's plan and our relationship to it. Where do you fit into that plan? Where do I fit into that plan? Can we understand that these ancient words speak afresh to us? about our lives and the integrity of who we are and how we live in the 21st century? That this Jesus who has come, who proclaims the kingdom and who is the kingdom, offers us 
the privilege to follow him, to reflect his character in everything that we do, in the words we say, in the relationships we develop, in the attitudes we bear, in the choices we make about life and what our life will be like. It's Jesus himself, dare I say, <laughs> knocking at our heart's door, saying, will you follow me? On the way, will you follow me to make a difference in this world? And my brothers and sisters, we have the privilege of hearing his voice. In making that choice. God bless you this morning.